Hello children and welcome to StarQuest, a podcast with the classic video games through the eyes of the newborn gamer. This is episode number 6 where we're looking at bringing this podcast, Earthbound. I am your host who only speaks to you over the phone, Papa Alessandro Crolla, alongside the woman who cooks your favourite food in the star of this podcast, Mama Jen Hughes. Hi everyone, how are you all doing today? <laughs> Loving the children's show host energy you're giving here. <laughs> what do you mean? This is how I always talk. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing well. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Have you been playing anything fun recently? Well, it's funny you no, ask. Stop, stop. <laughs> All right, okay, right, I'll stop, I'll stop. I've been playing Pokemon Arceus. Still. Still. It took me an eon to complete the last Pokemon game. What are you expecting here? On our last episode, you said you completed it and we're doing endgame content. What are you still doing? I've still got a whole bunch of those shiny purple wisps to find. They're little collectibles that are scattered all over the map. Yeah, they were a pain in the ass to find them all. Yeah, and, and you have to find those. It's not like you can just leave those. In order to complete the game, you have to complete your Pokedex. Mm-hmm. And my Pokedex is not complete yet. There's like a few more Pokemon that I need to get. The Pokemon made out of all the wisps is, or at least I think that's what it is anyway, is one I've still to actually catch. It is a pain in the ass getting them all. It's always good collectathon etiquette to get all the collectibles at the end of the game when you can just kind of check them off on the list as you go. But you see something like shiny that you've been asked to get, it's perfectly normal instinct to just go and grab it while it's there. Yeah, magpie senses kick in. Yeah, yeah. That's my whole thing though. I can't not take a shiny thing. How about you? What have you been playing? Still kind of thumbing through Brutal Doom in my own personal time. Mm-hmm. How are you finding that? I only played a little bit of it to have a conversation at the end of our last episode. But having finished the Doom episode, I'm still just plugging through a few levels here and there. It's a great way to unwind after a long work day. Yeah. I would not have imagined throwing around with demons in hell would be a great way to wind down, but... That's just me. I found that game very stressful. Yeah, it just goes to show what my day job is, that this is how I unwind. <laughs> just relieve the numbing boredom of your day-to-day by diving headlong into the pits of hell and wrestling with Jan from HR. <laughs> <laughs> we do not advocate workplace violence, just to clarify. I've also been playing through a game called Haven, which I bought months ago and I'm only sitting down to play it now. Yeah, it's a really fun, pretty looking game. Gorgeous looking game. I'm always a sucker for a game that's about a couple who are in a relationship that doesn't involve one of them being kidnapped to be the catalyst of events. They have such a cute dynamic, the the two main characters. They do. It is a charming little game. I'm having fun getting through it. Just don't ask me to categorise it because I have no idea how to explain it. Kind of a survival exploration RPG. Can't. I honestly can't. I don't know what genre to put it in. Mm. One thing I also have to talk about, because I have a podcast I want to rant to somebody about it, is the Overwatch 2 beta. Yeah, you had feelings about that. Yeah, when we were doing the first half of the Doom episode, I was in the process of downloading the beta. And when I sat down to play it with all my friends, I had such a nasty time with it. In what way? Overwatch 1. All games are 6v6, right? Yeah. Two tanks, two damage two healers. So, right, explain to me what those terms mean. Tanks are your ones who do, like, the blocking for the team. So they have a lot more health, they usually have some armour, but they don't hit that hard. 
Yeah, they are big beefy boys uh, that are basically human shield, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Then you have your damage, you're kind of like your strikers of the team. Their job is to get damage and get kills, mm. usually with the tanks blocking them getting hurt. And then you have the support whose job are to heal the team and then do things that help the team stay upright in a fight. Yeah, to make sure that they don't die. In each game of Overwatch, it's 2-2-2 two, two, two of teams of six. With Overwatch 2, they've decided to remove one of the tanks. So now it's one tank, two damage, two healers. It's fucked up the ecosystem, basically. Yeah, and Overwatch 1 is not a balanced game. Far from it. But removing one of the tanks hasn't made it balanced. It just made it unbalanced in a new way. Mm-hmm. And instead we have a situation where sequels giving us less content. Yeah, that's, um, that's an interesting move for Blizzard to take. Really bold step in a new direction. The original idea for Overwatch 2 was to focus more on the co-op missions that they're putting in. So missions you'd play together rather than against each other. Exactly. Yeah. It's so clear now that they've abandoned that idea because they've kind of been in a bit of a panic with everything that's happened to Blizzard. Yeah. I don't think this is quite the right time to explain everything that's happened to Blizzard. Uh, well, Google exists. Yeah, that's, that's what I'll say. Yeah, yeah. So it's very clear that they've slapped this together to try and get the fans back. But I don't think that's happening with this. It's like, you've already got Overwatch. You've got that already. Mm -hmm. And people still enjoy playing it. Mm -hmm. Why, with Overwatch 2, why not do something a bit different? If they tooled the game around 9v9 battles, it would be a whole new level of hell, but at least it's something more. Yeah, you're getting more for your money. Exactly. It's the going from 6v6 to 5v5 that has me scratching my head and going, who is that for? You could probably spend a long time ranting about this. No doubt, later on when we're doing the pub, you will. Exactly. But we'll save that for then, I think. No. For now, we'll get on to talking about Earthbound. Yeah. <laughs> now, I know some feedback we've had is that you went into the Pokemon and Sonic episodes knowing a bit too much about the game. Uh, yeah, congratulations. This is the sound of your monkey's paw curling, because I know virtually nothing about this game at all. Nothing at all. Really not very much at all. Okay, we'll start small then. Do you know what type of genre it is? It's an RPG. Correct, yes. Now, we didn't really touch on this in the Pokemon episode. We tend to sort RPGs into two main camps. Do you know what they are? Uh, they're Japanese RPGs, or JRPGs, and Western RPGs. Correct. I have seen a bit of a transition to Asian RPGs. I've not. I didn't know this. Very, very small thing that's happening because we're getting a lot more RPGs that are coming out of... Not just Japan. Correct. Yeah, like Korea and places like that. Because yeah, Korea is also getting really big into the gaming scene. It's like how there are like anime made in Korea, but people always think of anime as a Japanese thing, but there is Korean anime as well. Yeah, but I think for this we'll just stick with the term JRPG. It's yeah, just... we'll stick with JRPG because that's how it's you know, mostly known. What then is the difference between a Western RPG and a Japanese RPG? Um, so a JRPG is one that's made in Japan mm -hmm. and a Western RPG is made in the West. This is a massive misconception and there will be people who say that's the only distinction. I would probably argue otherwise though. Mm -hmm. There's examples of Japanese RPGs that have been made by Western companies 
from places like America and Sweden that absolutely feel like Japanese-style RPGs. Mm-hmm. And while it's not as common, there's definitely a few examples of Japanese companies making RPGs more in the Western style. Yeah. The two come from different philosophies and different histories. It's an example of two genres that really developed in their own space, coming from a single seed. The Western RPG draws from Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah. Where you are a solo character building your character the way you see fit. Traditionally, in a lot of Western RPGs, you don't have a set name and it's all quite malleable. You can be any race you want. You can look any way you want. You can be any class. So like Warcraft? Exactly. Like World of Warcraft draws on the Western RPG style. Yeah. Would Skyrim be one? Yes. Yeah. So that influence of Dungeons and Dragons fed into the Western RPG style. But that's not to say they're all like that. You have also games like The Witcher. You have a set name, you have a set race, you have a set character. But the roleplay element instead comes from your ability to grow the character the way you see fit. You can equip certain items and abilities to give him a particular combat style that suits your preference. Mm -hmm. And it's also quite focused on the solo character. The Japanese style, on the other hand, a lot of it comes from one particular, admittedly Western RPG game called Wizardry. What's Wizardry? It was a very, very old adventure game for PCs where you would play as a group of six adventurers. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being about one character solo, it's instead about a group of people coming together. So with, um, because we've played Dungeons and Dragons quite a few times, Mm -hmm. and the whole point of Dungeons and Dragons is you play as a party. You develop like a ragtag team. You play as a party, but you are a single person you play as. Yeah, you decide who your character is and everything. It's not like one person decides who everyone else's characters are. And you can play Dungeons Dragons one-on-one. Really? It's not how you're used to doing it, but if you've got one friend and you want to play Dungeons Dragons with them, you could be Dungeon Master and they can be the person fighting the dungeon. That's actually blown my mind. I didn't think that you could do that. Yeah, it's very doable. The game is started differently because... You have more people in a party, you usually give the enemies more health so one person doesn't kill them all in one go. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you can just stat it differently for 1v1. Wow, I didn't know that. So the Japanese style takes a lot more from this game, where it's more about a group of adventurers coming together to fight for a common goal. Another element is that a lot of Japanese RPGs developed from porn games. Excuse me, what? (laughs) Yes. You go through the history of companies like Squaresoft and Enix who now have formed into the mega JRPG maker Square Enix. They both started their companies making smaller games, including porn games. (laughs) Square Enix? More like Square Penis. (laughs) I'll see myself out. (laughs) A lot of these sex games would lock out its sexual content until you've got the right stats to complete certain roles. Damn, what cocktease. Exactly. When they wanted to move away from making sexual games, they brought a lot of that stat-based gaming and story-based gaming and fed it both into this more party-based playstyle. So to summarise, Western RPGs like Skyrim, The Witcher and Japanese-made Dragon's Dogma, all quite focused on a singular character and their personal development. Two of those games are a very customisable main character, one of them not so much, but is able to be played in the way that you see fit for that character. Compare that to Japanese RPG games like Final Fantasy, Persona, 
and Norwegian-made Earthlock all have a giant cast of characters who are a bit more set in their abilities, all with a set backstory and character, though with the ability to change small things like your name, and much more focused on working together as a team as opposed to working by yourself. Ah, okay. That is probably the simplest way to explain the difference between a Western RPG and a Japanese RPG. Earthbound falls quite firmly in the Japanese side. Yeah, I was thinking that as you were explaining. It's all about a group of people coming together to fight the challenges of the game. Yeah, you don't want to spoil anything. Do you know any of those characters by any chance? Um, I know Lucas and Ness because they're both in Smash Bros. Yeah, they're easily quite noticeable for their appearance in Smash Bros. Is there anything about them that you remember though? They might be the same person, mm-hmm. depending on what version of the game you play. Not really, no. One of them is the protagonist to this game, and the other is the protagonist to the sequel. So which one do you think you're playing as in this game? I think I'm playing Ness. Okay, okay. Ness is the dark-haired one. Yes, yes. What do you remember about Ness from Smash Bros? Um, He has the magical power, and he says PK fire whenever he uses that attack. Yeah. And he's a child. That's all I remember. That's all you remember? Yeah, I didn't play as him very much. I remember there was a part in the story of Smash Bros. Brawl, which is very underrated in my opinion, where there was a crossover between Earthbound and Kid Icarus, I think, where it's like, you know, you get this like small child with like this very tall angel guy. And I think that was really early on in that game. So, yeah, that's all I know about Ness. So what do you know then about Earthbound? Um, Whatever little I know about Earthbound is mostly attributable to the Super Eyepatch Wolf video on Mother 3. So, What's Mother? Why does that tie into this game? So Mother is what the game franchise is called in Japan. Correct. Do you know which game we're playing today? I think it's Mother 2. Yes, yes. Earthbound is known as Mother 2 in Japan. Yeah, we didn't get Mothers 1 or 3. No, not at the time of this game's release. We only got one mother. And I think the game is like, it's like all happy-go-lucky at first, and then it gets progressively darker and darker so you're basing all this based on just on that one video you've seen talking about Mother 3? Which I saw months and months ago, yes. And you think they're doing all the same tropes in this game too? I don't know. Um, I'm assuming it's that's the tone. I do quite like that kind of thing. What are you expecting from this game then? I'm expecting... Um, I think there are four characters and a dog. Why the dog? I remember there being a dog. I'm expecting a bit of a, you and your Scooby-Doo gang of friends are (laughs) going on an adventure through the land and you feed the dog earthbound snacks. Uh, I don't think there's a mystery machine because they are actual children and I don't think they'd be able to drive. (laughs) Okay, weirdly enough, you're not that far off with that expectation. (laughs) So what, are we going to be like finding a whole bunch of spooky ghosts and finding out that they're actually just people in costumes the whole time? You'll see as we get into it. You'll see as we get into it. (laughs) Jinkies.
I just remember clips of the video where there's like the boy and then his three other friends like kind of follow suit. And I remember a dog being there somewhere, but I don't remember where or when. But that's again, you're talking about three though, aren't you? So you don't know if that's in two. I don't know if that's in two. Like, right. again, I know nothing. I do not know anything about Earthbound. I know. I'm, I'm trying to tease out this conversation. Just so we can really probe what your expectations is. And your expectations is Mother 3. And what if you go in and expecting a bit more than what you're getting? I Yeah, because it is possible that it is the end of that series, as far as I know. So they wanted to just end it by destroying the world, or almost destroying the world. I don't know if I can expect the same thing this time around. You know what the whole theming is to Earthbound or the Mother franchise? Um, the struggles of motherhood. Yeah, not too far off. So do you think you're playing as the mother then? No, I don't think we'll be playing as the mother. Um, it would be it would be interesting if we were. Unless, like, I don't know, because like... Who do you think the main characters of this game are then? So I'm assuming the main characters are Ness and his friends. So are they all children? Are you expecting there yeah. to be some adults involved in there? Yeah, they're all kids. I think a lot of the other NPCs are adults. I remember them navigating through a kind of like modern type world mm-hmm. a little bit like pokemon but without the pokemon mm-hmm. i don't want to probe any further from there i don't want to color your expectations in this game yeah yeah i'm going on completely blind let's see what happens i don't think this is the most well-known of games it's very highly regarded yeah yeah but i don't know like how mainstream it is because there's difference between a critical darling and something that hits the mainstream this goes alongside Fire Emblem with games that got infinitely more support after they put the characters in Smash Brothers. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't know who Lucas or Ness were if they weren't in Smash Bros. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's a great introduction to a much deeper Japanese RPG. When we did Pokemon, Pokemon is an RPG technically, but it's such its own thing. I don't think it's fair to show an example of that compared to when we start doing games like Final Fantasy later. Yeah. I think this game is a much better introduction to that style. Because mm-hmm. yeah, Pokemon is an RPG for sure, but it's not—it's not quite the same. I'm imagining the story's going to take a lot of focus. Mm-hmm. Pokemon story is you're great at Pokemon, and all these cute little animals, and everyone in the town loves you. But like, it'll be different for this one. I think mm-hmm. there'll be a little bit more. Yeah, you're getting a bit more story out of this one for sure. Mm. I played through this game 12 years ago or so. I was doing night shifts for a 999 operator at the time. I would bring my hacked PlayStation Portable into work where I had hacked on a Super Nintendo emulator. I could play SNES games on my PSP. Mm-hmm. Much to the annoyance of probably Sony and Nintendo. <laughs> probably. And or your employers. And to my employers, yes. <laughs> they were very quiet shifts, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So I, I remember beating the game but i'm actually having a hard time remembering what happens after like the first two or three areas mm. so i might get into this game and realize that i've never beaten this Wait. let's see what happens yeah that'll be a first do you know anything about who made this game uh nintendo nintendo a bit more specifically than that any particular team in nintendo uh nintendo's friend jim <laughs> No, not Jim. No, Terry. No, and not Reggie either. Not Reggie either, yeah. No, okay. I, <laughs> I, I don't blame you for not knowing this one. He's not incredibly well known. 
he is part of a very famous team, but again, it's something that I'll say in our second half and you might be kicking yourself a little bit. Is it the same people that made Mario? No. The same people that made Sonic? That's not Nintendo. We're getting off. That's not Nintendo. <laughs> they can move companies. I, I'm, I'm trying to like figure out to see if, like, you know, if I can crack it before, before I get to play the game. But We're playing this on the Super Nintendo Online version on the Switch. Mm-hmm. I know we got burned with this with the Mario game, but since doing Mario, we've got a new TV which is much more responsive to the Switch. So I did chill out for the Super Nintendo <gasps> controller. They're going to be using to play this game that Jen is holding right now. Oh, so it's got like the, the the toggle buttons at the top. Yeah, the L and R. The L and R, and then another L and R. Yeah, I that's think it. The Switch ones. Yeah, the Z L and Z R went on the original controller. Everything else though is exactly how it did look on the original controller. Even the shape, which I don't remember it being this angular. I remember it being a lot more flatter. But when I was buying this at CEX, they did have a official controller from the Super Nintendo next to it. And I was able to make the comparison and they both look the exact same. So apparently I just don't remember it right. Yeah, it's got the direction buttons to uh, select and start. And the buttons Y, X, A and B buttons have different colours. That wasn't on the American version where they were all purple, but the colours were on our European version. Ah, yeah, yeah. With this game though, it's not as reactive as Mario. So if there is a little bit of lag, it shouldn't make us suffer too much. Oh, I hope not. I hope not. I want to go through our rules of gameplay on this one. Rule one, this will be a solo play game. I'll be doing my own playthrough on my Switch just to get myself well versed on this. But I think it's something you should be able to get through by yourself without me and just get through it as quick as you can. Yeah, this one is going to take a while. Not as long as you might think, I would say. Rule two is you can't rename the characters. It'll be much easier to explain in our second half if we're using all the canon names for the characters. Yeah, I get it. I think we got away with this a bit more in Pokemon. It was just one character renaming. Yeah, in Pokemon, you get to name you get to name yourself, and you get to name your rival at the start of the game. So I put in my name, obviously, and I named my rival after one of my dearest friends. Yeah. Emu. One character's one thing, but three or four, and the dog is maybe you know that's a whole other thing. I am fine with you renaming the dog, though. Yay! As well as there is some other stuff you get to customise, and that you can change as you see fit. Okay, I do have a habit of giving my Pokemon stupid names, mostly rhyming names, so I may end up carrying that forward into this game, possibly. And finally, rule three, the game measures progress through eight zones and i'm being very light with that description because i don't want to explain too much if you can get through the first six we will pretty much have enough to fill a conversation in the second half of course if you can take this game to the final boss you'll have seen everything and we can have a full conversation okay i would like to complete the game because i want to have as much to say about it as i can give it as full due i did it with sonic so hopefully i'll be able to do it with this as well okay so you have your controller uh-huh and you have your mind already thinking about what to name your dog. Yes. Are you ready to get started with Earthbound? Yes. Okay, let's get started.
back. Managed to get through this game in about a month. Yeah, it seems to be my average, you know, a month. How did you get on with Earthbound? I adore it. You did, didn't you? I absolutely adore it. It's probably one of my favourite games of all time. Really that good? Yeah, it was really good. What made this so good for you? It's got a really good story, a really immersive world, some really funny dialogue as well. Yeah, I think you weren't expecting this to be as funny as it was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some of the enemy names, for example, Spiteful Crow, (laughs) Scalding Cup of Coffee, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, same, Manly Fish, Manly Fish's brother. Oh yeah, that was the one. Handsome Jack. Yeah, it's just a bit of absurdity to the whole thing. Yeah, there's a lot of absurdity and... It's got like a really nice balance between like the fun and the joy and also like the darkness, you know? Yeah, there's, for such a charming and cute world, there's something a little sinister under it, isn't there? Under it? How'd you get on with the controls for this game? The controls were very, they were very accessible. Yeah, it's not really that, that complicated, was it? Yeah, with your fights, you get to kind of pick from a box of text. Yeah. Which is a lot easier than having to mash buttons and hope for the best. Yeah. How about in the overworld, though? How did you find interacting with the overworld in Earthbound? You just cut about these really cute little towns and, you know, just talk to people, like whoever you fancy. It was great. And you found the controls easy for that? No, it's not quite as intuitive as that. You have to press R because A brings up your menu. There is like a permanent option in your menu to talk or examine. Yeah. But it's not always intuitive which one you're doing at every point. So if you use the R button, it'll always pick you the right option. But it's not what you would normally reach for in a game like this. Yeah. You do also have enemies that will, uh, when they, whenever they see you, they'll make a beeline for you. Yeah. Which is standard for a lot of games, but there's sometimes where if they sneak up on you, they get the first move. And if they're really tough enemies, you're kind of fucked. Yeah. But equally, you can sneak up on them and you get the first move. Yeah, which is pretty good. There's also a very interesting mechanic in this game. When you're overleveled, when you're overleveled for the enemy, it glitches for a bit and then it says, you've won. Yeah, it doesn't even bother with the fight. It's just kind of like a, fuck it, you know you're strong enough to win this, you've won. Yeah, yeah, which is very handy because it means that every time an enemy runs into you, you're not stuck in like a fight. More often than not, when you've got a boss fight coming up, there's a point in the game where you have to go through a dungeon. Mm-hmm. And you have to get through a lot of different enemies. Mm-hmm. After you've defeated that boss, the remaining enemies will just run away from you. They won't fight you. Yeah, it's a brilliant mechanic. I love that. Like when you're overpowered for the fights, the enemies will avoid you. You can still chase them if you want to fight. Yeah. And you'll sometimes bump into them by accident, mm-hmm. which I always feel bad about because it doesn't even get you like that much XP. Yeah. XP is experience points you get enough of them and you go up a level yeah they're pretty standard and they're like all rpgs i know a lot of games actually it's yeah. pretty standard it goes along things like health points hp it's being just general gaming lexicon yeah you're on a health you die mm-hmm. Um, you also get pp which is like your power yes so it's like for your magical abilities mm, for your magical abilities you run out of those you can't do any more magic Yes, it can be recovered, but it's a lot harder to recover than just regular health. Yeah, especially early on in the game. Mm-hmm. Any other niggles you had with the system of this game? The inventory system is not very intuitive. Ugh, 
Yeah. You have very limited pocket space. As you know, a child, you'd only have very limited pocket space. Yeah, each character of your team has about 12 or 16 item slots, something like that. One of the things that eats into your inventory space is that you have to carry your weapons and your armor. Every kid gets a weapon to hold and can wear headgear, body gear, and an other. And that's how you get your equipables. And that's four slots lost on every kid automatically. It's a pain in the arse. And some things are key items that you can't get rid of. Yeah, especially Ness. He has quite a few items that he's not allowed to drop. The good thing is, though, there are some items that you need for like just one or two stages of the game yeah. that you can put in storage. Mm-hmm. In order to put things in storage, you have to phone up Escargot Express mm-hmm. and they can only take three things from you at a time. I know, what a stupid system. It is a bit of a stupid system, but this is something that's in later RPGs that have been inspired by this. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things they don't have. They don't bother with that. We're going to do an episode on Resident Evil soon. And Resident Evil also famously has a very limited item space. And you'll be quite amused by their answer for item storage when you get to it. I can understand why they're doing it though. There are some times in games where making things inconvenient for the player is part of the mechanic, is part of it. You need to have things to go up against in a game. Yeah, and Earthbound is absolutely putting it into their mechanics. Yeah. It's not the most convenient of RPGs. No, I'll say that. It's not convenient, but it's worth it. Yeah. I think another thing that's a bit of a pain in the arse is every time you're in a town, you'll usually have a phone in the town somewhere and everything to do with that phone is a pain. Yeah, you can call your mum. There are points in the game, if you go ages without calling your mum, you'll get homesick and you won't do as well in battles. Yeah, like Ness will like miss more and skip his turn and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Which is a super interesting thing because like, yeah, of course you're going to be like that as a kid. But it's weird that none of the other characters have that mechanic. Even Paula, whose parents seem like quite nice or as nice as Ness's parents, she still doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. Interesting storytelling there, game. You can also call your dad. Mm -hmm. What he does is he gives you money. Yeah. Arguably too much money, but you know, that's dad's for you, I suppose, Mm -hmm. sometimes, hopefully. That's a weird thing about this game is that you don't get money for beating monsters. Usually in an RPG, especially in a JRPG, every time you beat a monster, you get some money. Yeah. In this game, that doesn't happen. What instead it does in its mechanics, it sends that money to your dad. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when you speak to your dad next, he'll give you money like he's giving you pocket money. Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was dad giving me money. Just, uh, here's £10,000. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, is that for fucking pocket money? I know. I think it does something similar with Pokemon in that it's probably more closer to, like, I don't know, like a tenner or something like that. It's definitely more based on yen. Yeah. To be fair, I was also going ages without calling my dad, so like the money just accumulated. It does make it very funny by the end of the game, though, because I had enough money to buy a house. God, yeah, you had like $100,000 at one point. No, I was over that. I think it was closer to 400000 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a dad giving you that as pocket money. Like, what does your dad do? <laughs> he's a drug dealer. That's, how, that's why he's like never at home either. <laughs> yeah that's the thing you never see your dad in the game that's what we're worth pointing out i mean unless like you are part telephone yeah your dad is just a voice you hear on the phone he never actually appears in the game ever your mum does and your sister does you see them at the start of the game you never see your dad yeah which 
again, plays into the theme of families, which we'll go on to later. Mm-hmm. Another thing your dad does is save the game for you. Yes, which we should have been using if we weren't using the Nintendo Switches Online save function. It is like a bit of a faff because there's a lot of dialogue, which is both a blessing and a curse. He's very chatty, your dad, yeah. Yeah, it's like with Ness's dad, it's not that he doesn't want to be in your life. It's kind of implied that either he works a lot and is always away on business or something, or his parents are divorced. Yeah, it's not easy when you're a life of a drug mule. <laughs> no, no, no. There's a difference between a drug mule and a drug dealer. <laughs> He's taking those flights to and from Colombia with all the cocaine in his rectum. I, I don't actually think that Ness's dad was stealing drugs. Just, <laughs> just for the record, I would like to believe that. <laughs> What's even more annoying about your dad, though, in, in the game, that is. Not my actual dad. <laughs> Is that you'll be randomly in the middle of a dungeon and then your dad will call you up and go, you've been playing a long time. Do you think you should save the game and finish for the night? You can't control when that happens. And you have like a walkie talkie, but you can't use it to call your dad ever in the game. But he can call you to offer to save and get you to stop for the night. Which I think if you've been playing for ages and you don't have access to a phone is kind of a blessing. But here... Where I'm in the middle of like traversing a dungeon trying to save the world from oblivion and dad's just like, hey son, you've been on the Nintendo for quite a while, maybe you should go to bed. And I'm like, fuck you dad, I'll do what I want. Fuck you dad, I'm 24, I can live my own life. (laughs) Stop calling me. As much as I've expressed my gripes over the gameplay, it's something that I didn't really care about. It didn't bother me, really. You are right. It's not the most convenient system, but it's not a deal breaker either. I think there are so many other good qualities about the game that you can kind of just write it off as being, well, they're kids. Of course, they're not going to have huge amounts of pocket space or... Yeah, of course he's going to need to call home every now and then. I'd be a bit worried if he didn't want to call home every now and then. Yeah, and if your team faint, then of course you have to go back to the hospital to get them all treated. Yeah, yeah, of course. It makes sense for a role-playing game that's set in a very contemporary world. Because let me make this clear, this game is basically set in the 90s. Yeah. Like it is, I'm sure there's a MatPat video about what year is really set and all this bollocks, but it's set in the now times, essentially. It's like a version of the now times where kids have superpowers and, let's face it, is probably a bit better than we have right now. Yeah, so like the towns are filled with things like hospitals, convenience stores, schools and stuff like that. It's, it goes alongside Pokemon of being a role-playing game set in a world that's very familiar to us. One other thing that I didn't take advantage of during my gameplay was that at some point you're able to order pizza. Oh yeah, yeah, you can do that from the phone as well. But you can order it from like basically wherever and they'll deliver it. You could be in the desert or a swamp land and the pizza guy will just be like, hey, here's your pizza, enjoy. Yeah, it's, again, very set in the 90s. Domino still has its very firm, if you don't get your pizza in 30 minutes, it's free policy. (laughs) They'll deliver to any area. (laughs) Also, say what you want about Escargo Express. They will also deliver anywhere. 
the pair of them are willing to go to any length they can to get you your items or pizza. You could be in the middle of a Tibetan monastery and call up Escargo Express like, hey, take my quest items, fuckers. And they'll be just like, sure. Can we have $18 to cover our travel expenses? So trying to translate a real world setting into being a fantasy RPG system has meant they've had to really stretch the convenience to make the ends meet. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is a bit of a pain in the arse. Yeah, but again, you go through the story, you learn to look past it. Mm -hmm. Nintendo made the uh, save feature on the Switch for a reason. Let's peel back a little bit and we'll talk about a bit of the history of the game. Earthbound was released as Mother 2 in Japan on August 27th, 1994, and then released as Earthbound in June 5th of 1995 in America. It's one of the few games made by Ape Inc., a company which has since gone on to become Creatures Inc. and become part of the Pokemon company. Yeah, in our intro, you went Mario and then you went Sonic. We've done like two Nintendo games. You thought you'd say Pokemon. Yeah, I mean, no one's perfect. (laughs) Admittedly, before that change, they're not known for much. Though they did make that Mario Picross game that I've been playing on your Switch every time you put down the SNES controller long enough that I can steal it. Yeah, there were points where I was getting a little bit irritated. You were in the middle of a puzzle and I was absolutely desperate to get on with Earthbound. You shouldn't have gone to the toilet then, it's your own fault. Fuck you. Ape Inc. is a company founded by a man named Shigesato Itoi, who serves as the writer and director of this game. Ah, right. Where the fuck do I start to explain this man to you? He's pretty much done everything in the world of media. He's been an advert creator, a writer, an actor, a lyricist, a voice actor in My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, wow. And an app creator. He's just done everything in the media world it's so interesting my neighbor totoro is one of my all-time favorite films yeah and he plays the main character's dad oh yeah yeah i remember hearing about that yeah yeah the man is an absolute superstar Mm. he is a fascinating man if you actually learn more about him he created the mother series to be more appealing to female gamers he initially was not well liked by miyamoto oh i do have to make a quick correction in that Pokemon episode, I said that Miyamoto only had bad advice. That's not true. He had plenty of great advice for that game. There was just one bit of bad advice that we talked about, and I kind of am kicking myself I didn't make that clear at the time. Mm. So I, I don't want to sound like Miyamoto is just this prick that's just ruining games. Yeah, yeah. It's not a very fair thing to put on to someone. Especially with this one, because initially, Itoi was not very well liked by Miyamoto. Because at the time, Nintendo had this bad habit of bringing in minor celebrities to be involved in game design. Right. What do you mean by that? The first thing that comes to mind is the guy from Takeshi's Castle made a video game. That is this deeply unintuitive adventure game. Takeshi's Castle being the Japanese total wipeout that was narrated by Craig Charles. It was in the UK, yes. The American version is actually done as a word-for-word translation. But if you ever want to watch Takeshi's Castle, find the UK version. Where it's just all the Japanese audio narrated over by Craig Charles, who I can't imagine is narrating this with anything other than a beer in one hand and a kebab in the other. Yeah, he's absolutely sloshed. It is incredibly <laughs> funny. When they brought in Itoi to do a game for Nintendo, Miyamoto's back went up a little bit. Right. That sentiment changed, however, once he got his hand on Mother 1. That Miyamoto has gone on to say it was the very first RPG he ever finished by himself. What? The, hang on, sorry. As in, he completed it in his own free time? Yes. 
When you say on his own, it implies that he always had someone else to complete bits for him. Imagine for someone who's got, especially back in the 80s, who's got like five or six games on the go at one time. Oh, yeah. There is probably an element of where someone's playing it and showing him how it's played. Ah, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You can't play five or six games at once. He's not you. Yeah. (laughs) Mother One was planned to be released on the NAS in America, and it even was fully localised with an English translation. Right. But it got cancelled and went unreleased. Yeah, I heard. With Mother 1 under his belt, the obvious plan was then to do Mother 2. That had its own troubled release. In fact, this is also the last game to be programmed and designed by Satoru Iwata of HAL Laboratories. What's HAL Laboratories? They were their own company within Nintendo. Right. They are most famous, though, for working on the Kirby and the Smash Brothers games. They did the Smash Brothers games? In conjunction with the guy that created Kirby, yes. Oh, that's so cool. Hal Laboratories was sent in to help work on this game. And like I said, it is the last game to be programmed by Satoru Iwata directly. Iwata is a legendary name amongst the staff at Nintendo, going on to become president and CEO of the whole company from 2002 up until his death in 2015. So this is the man who ended up helming Nintendo through things like the release of the Wii and the DS. That's really cool. So Iwata was low-key responsible for a whole bunch of my childhood. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Mother 2 sold incredibly well in Japan. One of the best-selling games of that year. The American release, though... There's no other way to say it. It was completely bungled thanks to a horrendously bad advertising campaign. For some insane reason, they went for a gross-out humour idea and sold the game with these foul-smelling scratch-and-sniff panels under the banner, This Game Stinks. Good going, Nintendo. Great way to promote your game of any sort. Yeah, which fucking moron came up with this awful idea is beyond me. I mean, you have Itoi. He was in advertising. He should have known better to let these fuckers do this. Yeah, I wonder how he felt about it at the time, reading through, you know, Nintendo Power as an adult man did and found the advertising campaign to his game being like, scratch and sniff stinky stinks. Imagine the absolute disappointment he would have felt with that. Holy shit. It was the 90s. It was a different time. Yeah. I can't deny grosser humour was definitely a thing back then. Mm. But sinking $2 million into this is just... Why? Why? So this awful reception, along with this general idea that Nintendo had that JRPGs didn't sell well in Europe, is why Earthbound didn't actually get a UK release until the virtual console version on the Wii U. Ah, right, yeah. Which also didn't sell very well. No. So I can say that when I was pirating the game back when I first played it, you can't have a go at me for it because there was no legal way for me to play the game back then. Mm. I do also want to have a quick chat about the composers for Earthbound. Oh my god, the soundtrack is incredible. I love it. it? Mother One's composers Keishi Suzuki and Hirokazu Tanaka returned to do the soundtrack of this game, along with some help from Hiroshi Kanazu and Toshiyuki Ueno. The soundtrack of Mother 2 is designed to be jazzier than it was in the first game. Right. And have a lot of very eccentric music. What do you mean by eccentric music? Music that had a bit more of strangeness to it and a bit more eclectic sounding instrument. So are we talking Bjork, John Cage, Oingo Boingo? What kind of eccentric are we talking about here? All of them. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right, actually. (laughs) Any particular favourite songs? Oh man, the choice. Oh... I I really liked quite a lot of the town music. 
mm-hmm. like too soon and foresight. Yeah, they are very bouncy tunes that just give you this great sense of adventuring through this world. Yeah, each town has its own theme, especially as you go further out from your American suburb type towns into Winters has got jingle bells and is quite quiet in certain places. Yeah, it invokes snow. And then there's other places like there's a place in the desert that sounds a bit more Arabian, that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, there's more like harmonic minors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack is very evocative that way. I also... There is a jazz band called The Runway 5, which we'll talk about a bit more later. Mm -hmm. And their songs and some of the themes that they have are really fun. Yeah, again, we're talking about jazzy music and they are definitely some jazzy motherfuckers. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's their whole deal. It would be real criminal of me to not also mention the theme you have whenever you're back home with your mum. Home Sweet Home. Yeah. Such a beautiful little piece of music i could just curl up comfortably hearing that song it was actually adapted from a song from mother one that you're quite a big fan of called pollyanna i love that song so much it's one of my favorites yeah there's a great cover by insane in the rain that i know you listen to a lot when you're in my car yes (laughs) i do just listen to the soundtrack it's amazing sadly there's a major issue of sampling with some of the songs in this game Mm mm-hmm They take beats from other famous songs to create this Americana theme in the soundtrack. An easy example of this I can share without probably triggering copyright would be that one of the music you hear while in Moonside called Boris Cocktail, which takes some distorted notes from the American National Anthem. Ah, that's really cool actually, I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's cool when it's a National Anthem, a bit more tricky when they're taking notes from things like Tequila and Johnny B. Good. Yeah, the music you get for fighting each enemy, and not each enemy, you're different kinds, so the weaker enemies, it's basically just Tequila. Adding these homages got them in a lot of trouble when getting it really outside of Japan. Yeah, that makes sense. Hence why Earthbound never came to the Wii Virtual Console and didn't get released in the Virtual Console to the Wii U. So copyright doing us out of some good content again? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So we're going to go through the story of this game. Now, there is no way in hell we can fit the entire story of this game into a single episode. So we're going to go very high level and only stop at bits we want to talk about. We're going to be talking about major plot points, and if you've not played the game already, pause this, go do it now, and then come back. If you're waiting for the three gens, I think she's spoiled that the next gen is going to be play this game right goddamn now. Yes. (laughs) Set in the year 1990X, we start the game in a small town in Eagle Land called It. The game starts with a massive meteor crashing into a nearby mountain. At which point you go and check out as Ness, who is our main character of this game. The noise of the meteor crashing wakes you up. Mm-hmm. You go and arm yourself, stealing stuff from your sister's room. You head out with the dog. What did you end up naming the dog? I named it Mallow because it's white and marshmallows are sometimes white. Yeah, better than Jon Snow naming his dog Ghost. Yeah, that's true. You have to go up and check the meteor because your door is being knocked by your next door neighbour, Pokey, who wants your help to go and find his little brother. Pokey seems nice-ish at the start of the game. It's very clear that your character doesn't like him at the start. Uh, we, we will come to realise why very quickly. You might as well say it now. What was your opinion on Pokey? Pokey is my nemesis. I hate him. I have never hated a child more in my life, even when I was a child. 
And just to be clear, when you say your nemesis, you don't mean Ness's nemesis. Not yet. No, he's you, Jen Hughes's nemesis. Yes, I, I absolutely despise him, honestly. <laughs> he's evil. Yeah, he does exude massive Cartman energy. Yeah, which it only gets worse as the story goes on. Yeah, it definitely does. But for now, uh, Pokey is just a little boy looking for his little brother and not the Antichrist. Yeah, this is when you get your first time battling some of the wild animals of this game. We say wild animals. It's more like, you know, animals you'd find in the street, like runaway dog and spiteful crow. Mm -hmm. Spiteful crows steal from you. They do, and you have to beat them to get the item back. Yeah. This is also about the point in the game where you realise that Pokey is a massive coward and won't actually join in the fights. Yeah, you'll do some damage. The dog will do some damage, but Pokey does nothing. Yeah, he's useless in these fights. I was very much looking forward to getting rid of him from my party at the time. Oh, innocent days. You go to the crash site and you find his little brother, Picky. Great things to name your children. As well as a strange little bee that comes out of the meteor called Buzz Buzz. My boy, my boy Buzz Buzz. Buzz Buzz tells you that he's from 10 years in the future where there's an evil being called Gygas who wants to take over. And it's up to the four kids of this time to save the world. I was thinking to myself at the time, oh God, if Pokey is one of those children, we're all fucked. <laughs> no, Pokey quickly disqualifies himself as being one of the kids. You instead take him and his brother home to his fucking awful parents. Oh my God, Pokey's parents. Ugh, repulsive people. As soon as you get in, his dad takes the boys upstairs to beat them. Yeah. You don't actually see this, but you just hear noises off screen that sounds like they're being beaten. Yeah. And Pokey's dad is very, literally, the minute you talk to him, he goes off about your dad and how your dad's got him into debt. Yeah, he's a prick. He's just, his parents are pricks, so much so that his mum kills Buzz Buzz. At that point, I was just so angry. There were points in the game where the noise was really annoying. And I'm like, oh, I should stop buzzing. And then, uh, then she killed my boy. She killed Buzz Buzz. I wanted to avenge his death. <laughs> I really did, but the game wouldn't let me. No, in his dying breath though, Buzz Buzz tasks you with the quest to find eight spots that will increase your power. These are the milestones I was alluding to in our first half. Yeah. He gives you the soundstone that you can use to capture the melodies and basically sends you out in the world to go find them. This is where you kind of start your adventure properly and you start by exploring the town of Wanit by yourself. First thing you have to do in town is take out a team of hooligans who are running around in blackface. I mean, I know they're supposed to be like balaclavas, but it just looks like blackface. It's the fact they have giant pink lips that doesn't do them any favours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to take out minstrel show team Rocket. Yeah. <laughs> you do, don't you? There's policemen, there's the mayor and civil servants, but no, we're going to leave it to... An eight-year-old child to take out a whole gang of hooligans. When you take out the gang, though, you do get a key that lets you into the cave that allows you to get your first melody. Yes. We get the key. We defeat... Oh, I defeat the Titanic Ant. Yep. All by my lonesome. Yes. This is where you get your first melody, where Ness will catch a glimpse of a small, cute puppy when he hears it. Oh. So, you know, the mayor's pretty pleased. There's less for him to deal with. How do the police thank me for my heroic deeds? The police constable takes me into a back room with his six best police officers and they proceed to try and beat the shit out of me. Yes. What? 
Yeah, so you have to kick all their asses. Which I do. Weirdly enough, they were easier to fight than uh, the literal ants and rats in the cave in the run-up to the first boss. Yeah, but you defeat them all and the chief of police. Yes. And that eventually allows them to open the roads to the next town. They let us into Tucson. Yes. I have never been so glad to leave a town in all my life. Yeah. One thing we do have to bring up in the one it though, before we move on. In town, there is a man who lives near the meteor crash site who is an archaeologist. Yeah. He invites you to come check out the thing he's found in the cave that he's dug up under his house. Yeah, you're invited into his manky house, mm-hmm. deep down, down, down through his manky basement. Yeah, you go, you go through a ladder and you go into this cave that's under his house. You go through his manky catacombs. Yeah. <laughs> and I am sitting to myself thinking, oh, fuck, I'm going to die. This is like the lovely bones. Oh, no, get uh... out. Buzz, buzz, save me. Oh, no. <laughs> Thankfully, you aren't kept in his sex dungeon forever. <laughs> this manky, manky sex dungeon. <laughs> it's not actually a sex dungeon. It's not, it's just a cave, right? At the end of the cave, though, is a giant gold statue that he's found. Which looks like an Oscar. A little bit, yeah, but like with a helmet on it. <laughs> Not that kind of helmet. <laughs> That's going to come up later, so remember that. But end of the day, we've got the first melody, and now we're on to Tucson. I really like Tucson. It's a bit dull, but after having experienced my hometown, it was a welcome breath of fresh air. This is where you get your first party member you're told about the famous psychic in town called paula because that's one thing we didn't explain is that ness has essentially psychic powers to do moves in battle and you get to name what your main attack is what did you name yours so it doesn't say you name your main attack it asks you what your favorite thing is yeah you're limited to how many characters you can put in Mm -hmm. but what i put was instead of putting your name down which uh I should have done. I put down quartz mm-hmm. because whenever we're on a hike or a walk or any any time I'm outside and I see a quartz stone, I have to pick it up. Mm-hmm. It's a compulsion now. I have jars of these things. I need help. But they're so pretty. I can't not. Thousands of white stones around my house right now. It's like living in a quarry. Yeah. <laughs> you mean like living on another planet in Doctor Who? <laughs> So when you get told there's a psychic in town, it's more in the sense of that she can also do psychic powers in battle. Yeah, not like Derek Cora or one of those ones that do the cold readings. I, I sense I'm the loved one of beginning with the letter E, F, G. Q, Q, that's the one I meant. Yeah, Q. Q, yeah, that was it. Good old Quigley. <laughs> so you go to find Paula, but find out she's been kidnapped by this town's evil gang. Because apparently they're setting up franchises now. Yeah. This gang of men in giant blue robes and big blue hoods that go over their face with really pointy tips on the end, all holding up paint cans of blue and, oh my fucking God, they're all just clansmen. Why are they clansmen? It's just fucking clansmen. The blue blocks blan, if you will. (laughs) I'm sorry, we're not trying to be all political and say this stuff, but this game's doing this. How can we not? What? I was almost attacked last night in my own home. I walk in and there's a colored man in my kitchen. Colored? What color was he exactly? Blue. So you have to try and get into their commune, the Happy Happy Village. It's uh, Happy Happy because 
they're in a cult. Yes. And in this village, everything is blue. They're happy, happy because everything is blue. Yes. The clothes are blue. The animals are blue. They have a blue house with a blue window. (laughs) (laughs) So you get to the leader of the blue man group. Yeah. And now guess who is alongside this evil cult leader doing his evil culty things? Who is with the evil cult leader doing these evil culty things, Jen? Pokey. (laughs) Pokey is just there going, hey, I'm sticking with this guy because he's evil and powerful. Yeah, Pokey just being a fat little prick and helping the baddies at this point. This will be a recurring theme. You beat the leader, who goes by the name the car painter. Uh, guess what we find in the cult leader's office, but one of those helmet statues. Yeah, the one we were talking about from One It. Yes. And the statue has got a weird influence on these people. Mm-hmm. Once you've won against him, the statue breaks. What happens after the statue breaks is that the spell that it's had over the commune has broken. And everyone's like, oh God, what happened? What have we done? And apologizes for attacking Ness. And yeah. the carpenter's like, oh God, what have I done? Yeah, Paula, you're free to go. Oh my God, what did he do? It is worth pointing out that this is not the original statue. It's just a copy of it that's been made, I think. Yeah, there's there's a few copies that have been made throughout the game, a bit like Voldemort's Horcruxes. Mm-hmm. You do end up beating them and you release Paula, who now becomes part of your party. What's worth pointing out when we go further into the game is that each party member has their own thing that they do. Mm -hmm. So although both Ness and Paul have psychic powers, Paula has more attacks than Ness does. Yeah, she's the more offensive member on the team. (laughs) Yeah, but not in the Ricky Gervais type. No, no, she's got the better offense. Yes. In fact, quite commonly, because Ness is healing magic and Paula doesn't, it's more common that you'll just be using Ness as a healer and letting Paula do the damage. Yeah. With Paula's help, you can now enter a nearby dungeon and get your second melody. And this melody, when Ness hears it, puts him in mind of a baby with a red cap. Hmm. Tucson is also the place where we meet the Runaway Five. Yeah, they are in a jazz bar here on a contract they can't afford to get out of. And they just want to get out of this town, man. Yeah. There is a major yikes moment where, you know, we're trying to help them get out of their contracts where they say, hey, we like the look of Paula, a child. Yeah. Why don't you come into our dressing room? And it's like, oh. Yeah. It's one of these things that they didn't mean anything by it, but we live in a post-Jimmy Savile age. We can't help but misinterpret that. When we save the Runway 5 from their awful contract with crime money, they offer us a lift to the next town, and I forget, feeling really happy that I've helped people. They're like, hey, we want to help you. We're going to give you a ride to the next town on our tour bus. My stranger danger is just like, gone. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll get into your van with these men I don't know. Sure. I thought these were the Runaway Five, not the Lost Prophets. Oh, God. Anyway, moving swiftly onwards. (laughs) This is when we get to the town of Threed, a town which is in the midst of a very massive Scooby-Doo episode. Yeah, it's a spooky town overrun by zombies and other monsters. The favourite level of all goth kids everywhere, I'm sure. (laughs) Through your helping of this town, you end up getting trapped by the zombies underground. Yeah. At which point Paula sends a psychic message across the ether looking for help from a boy named Jeff. 
the game now cuts to a town in a far off winterland. Perhaps Canada? It says in the northern country of winters. So I'm guessing Canada? A character called Jeff gets a psychic communication to come help. He wakes up in his dorm at his all boys boarding school and thanks to his friend Tony, he collects some stuff together and gets the fuck out of there. Yep. In the way out of school, you come across the shop and the bubble monkey, but you also come across a phone. Considering, you know, what we've been doing with the game so far, my instinct is to call my dad. This is after having escaped school, potentially a missing person. I call my dad and instead of him being concerned, he's like, yeah, sure, cool, great. You know, I could save the game with him, but I decide, nah, you're good. And he says, so you just wanted to hear the sound of my voice. <laughs> and then hangs up. What an absolute prick. He goes down south. He picks up a bubble monkey, which is one of those things that is so much dumber than its name suggests. We get our own guy brushed Threepwood. <laughs> I mean, uh, Bubbles the Chimp. Yes, yes. With the monkey's help in a way that only makes sense in this game, you get across Loch Tess, because the bubble monkey knows how to summon Tessie. Ah, yes, based on the famous Canadian Loch Tess monster, local to Canada, lover of maple syrup and bacon. Yep, yep. Maybe Eagle Land is England, and Scotland just happens to look like Canada. It can't be. Because it's called Winters and not Winters. Winters! Although, that being said, you do go south of Loch Tess and you find Stonehenge. That's very true. I didn't know that Stonehenge was in the Midlands. <laughs> this is also where you come across a cave, I'm pretty sure you want to talk about. Yeah, it's like a cave slash maze created by a guy called Brick Road. I think mm -hmm. it's a play on the Wizard of Oz, possibly. Possibly. And, you know, his whole thing is creating dungeons. Don't know why they've decided to make it this easy at this point, but I'm sure that Brick Road has his reasons. He says he wants to become Dungeon Man, which I just assumed, yeah, he's wanting to like create a whole bunch of dungeons and franchise it out. Yeah, that makes sense. Either that or he wants to work in that guy's sex dungeon. I don't think that'll be a particularly stimulating job. <laughs> yes, we'll come back to that. We will come back to that. We'll come back to that. Getting to the south side of Winters, you end up in the laboratory of Dr. Andernuts. Yeah, and it turns out that Jeff's dad, who I was on the phone with, is Dr. Andernuts. Indeed he is. He is just as not great in person as he is on the phone. Everyone in this game seems to have a bad dad, with the exception of Paula. No, that's not, that's not a fair thing to say about Ness's dad. He still wants to know about your adventures. Yeah, he gives you money though, but he's never there. It is proper cats in the cradle stuff. I, I, I'm inclined to disagree. Jeff's dad does not give a shit about where he goes or what he does. He does give Jeff a flying saucer though. Yeah, which is also a death trap. But it's what is used to send Jeff to Ness and Paula's location. So we can go rescue them. Yeah, what I'll say about Dr. Andonuts is that he's helpful, he's a plot thing, but I still don't like him. This is how you get Jeff to join the main party. While Paula and Ness can do magic, Jeff can't. No, he has no magic in the game at all. Because he's an inventor's son, he is able to fix things. Mm -hmm. You can come across broken things in the game, and if you give them to Jeff... When you're next resting in a hotel or something, he'll fix it and it can become a weapon or an item or anything like that. 
Yeah, he needs to have a certain level of intelligence to fix it. So he might not repair it straight away. Yeah. I didn't realise this until later on in the game. Mm-hmm. So if you guys are playing that, just bear that in mind and give all your broken stuff to Jeff. Hand him, like, broken pipes, broken bazookas, broken marriage. He'll fix it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with Jeff's help, you now end the zombie apocalypse in 3 And with the help of someone we didn't mention from too soon called Apple Kid. I like him. He's one of my favourites. He makes you the weirdest quest items. Yeah, between him and Dr. Andonauts, they both end up being the inventors of the operation. With Threed now freed, you can now get through to a little village outside of Threed called Saturn Village. Oh, I love that. That's me, please. I'm surprised you didn't mention Mr. Saturn in our first half. He definitely shows up in Smash Brothers. I didn't know that that was from Earthbound. And also, all the aliens in... The Saturn Village are called Mr. Saturn. Their dialogue text has got this like weird handwriting type thing. Looks like it was written by a child. Yeah, which is really cute. And in Smash Bros, they're throwable items. Mm-hmm. These sentient beings. <laughs> you just lob them at people. That's safe and a great way to treat people. They are supposed to be aliens, but they have this quality that makes them like children. Yeah. It's why you feel bad that one of the quests you get when you get to Saturn Village is to rescue some that have been turned into slaves. Yeah, oh, I remember that. Oh, I'm so awful. You have to fight a pile of barf to get it back. Yeah, Uh, literally a pile of barf. Not in the way that, oh, I don't like him, he's a pile of barf. No, this is an actual sentient pile of barf. There are multiple sentient piles of barf in the game. They weren't wrong to do the whole gross-out humour advertising campaign, because it is definitely there. It's just not what I take away from the game. I don't play Earthbound and think of Piles of Barf. Yeah, it's not like a huge part in the game. Exactly, but it's there. It's there, but it's like making Big Bertha that fish I hate into the main marketing thing of Mario. People will be asking me, who've not really played Mario or listened to our first episode, who's Big Bertha? Exactly. Saturn Village is also next to the cave where we get our third melody. At this one, Ness thinks he heard his mother from far away saying, Be a thoughtful, strong boy. One of the ways they thank you for saving the enslaved Mr. Saturns is to give you a cup of coffee. That when you drink, you have this really weird psychedelic episode. It's just a whole bunch of texts, like, you know, talking about, like, how you guys are the chosen ones, you're going to go on this adventure and defeat evil... You're going to defeat Gygas and he's worried about you and he knows that you're coming and yada yada. Super motivational. I was pretty happy. I gathered that it was one of the following. The cup of coffee and sentient and talking to you through your mind. Your high as balls. Yeah, being kids, I'm going to go in with that one, admittedly. God. Mm-hmm. Or all of the above. <laughs> and one of the things that started to piss you off halfway through was the photo man. Oh my Christ, the photo man. Yeah. Randomly in the game, this music will start playing and this man with a big beard and a top hat just comes spinning down from the ceiling to come and take a random photo of you. The only person that, like, smiles and poses for the camera's nest. Everyone else is just looks at him with apathy and confusion. <laughs> like, why are you here? Who are you? What? And every time he's like, 
Uh, ready and say fuzzy pickles. Yeah, we got a bit of a weird vibe from that, to be honest. Yeah, there's something very strange about a man who keeps jumping out of nowhere to take photo of children talking about his fuzzy pickle. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to stop with pedo jokes. <laughs> With the zombie apocalypse over, this does bring the buses back on in Threed. Hey! It does make me wonder what haunted curse is currently gripping Glasgow, since we've been putting up with our own public transport woes recently. <laughs> to be fair, there is a difference between a zombie apocalypse and a whole bunch of the drivers going on strike. I've seen the bus drivers in Glasgow, I can't really see the difference in them. <laughs> you get on a bus and arrive in Foresight, which is very strange. Well, the rest of the game has a... Uh, isometric view all the roads are either going horizontal or at 30 degree angles mm-hmm. foresight is the only village in the game that the entire thing is on 45 degree angles which kind of threw me off sometimes it was very easy to get lost very visually different to what you're seeing in all the other places usually with the towns that we've had so far i've been able to find my way without a map which you can get in the library it won it Mm-hmm. but I didn't really need it most of the time, apart from when we were on Foreside, because I was wandering around lost quite a bit of the time. But yeah, we're going to talk about fucking Trump Towers. Yeah, it's called the Montoli Building, but it is just Trump Towers with its own baby Trump throwing a tantrum inside. Yeah, Pokey, of course, got himself a penthouse suite. Yeah, you go to the top floor of this building and you get big lead by that fat little turd. <laughs> yeah. Also in Foreside, you stumble across the Runaway Five again. Oh boy, my favourite. We meet the Runaway Five again. We talk to their new manager and we find that they're in a million dollars debt and they're in a contract they can't get out of again. God, thanks to know that in this fantasy world, the music industry is just as oppressive. Pretty much. Having said that, fill me once, shame on you, but fill me twice, shame on me. Come on. I would have been fine just leaving them to wrestle it out of it, Wardlow versus MGF style. <laughs> but I kind of need their help to get in contact with this one very rich man for plot reasons. And I'm like, right, okay, fine, I'll help you out. We managed to get them a very expensive item to help them out. It was a diamond that we had to scrabble around the desert for. And the woman who manages them, they ripped up their million dollar contract debt for a $50 diamond. A million dollars takes a long time to pay back, but diamonds are forever. <laughs> what struck me as fascinating was that those guys left Tucson five minutes ago and they're already a million dollars in debt. Yeah, sounds about right. What? What? Are these guys for real? Like, what the fuck? Are they ordering Mexican black tar heroin by the bucket? How do you rack up that much debt in such little time? How much money were their prostitutes milking from them? Fucking hell. This is also around the time when the department store opens up in Foresight. Which is uh, pretty snazzy. But while you're searching the department store, the lights go out and Paula gets kidnapped. Oh no. This is like the second issue she's kidnapped for this game, I've realised. Yeah, so it is. I love how it's the girl that gets kidnapped. You get told she's at the Monotoli building with that fat turd pokey is hiding out. But you won't be able to get inside right now and instead have to go through a portal in a cafe which leads to another dimension called Moonside. Moonside is fucked. It's very trippy. It is. It's like a whole neon city. It's like Blade Runner meets the Red Room from Twin Peaks. Yeah, it's a very strange area. It's got this weird puzzle to it that was a pain in the ass to solve. Oh yeah, absolute pain. It took you like a whole evening to work it out. 
there were a whole bunch of jocks I had to talk to and I had to find the right jock or something. I don't remember. I managed to repress it. You did manage to crack it though. Eventually. We have to fight another Oscar in Moonside. After we fought it, we wake up in a warehouse. And you also managed to crack the puzzle in the monkey caves afterwards. Oh yeah, there were monkey caves in there somewhere, yeah. And this is where you learned your very useful ability in this game called the Psy Teleport. Yeah, Psy Teleport was pretty good. There are not very many buses past Foreside. Yes, so this is how you're now able to backtrack in the game. When you have a long enough runway, you activate side teleport and you have to do a big running start up and you take off and fly back into any point in the game you want to go back to. You start running, it's like you have to go up to 88 miles per hour. Yeah, pretty much. We do some puzzly stuff to get through to the top of Monotoli Towers. Mm -hmm. We see the big man himself, Monotoli, and he just lets Paula go. He was another person who was under the spell of these statues. Yes. I think it's very interesting. The times where these statues have had influence and the statues are broken, there's like moments of, oh my God, what have I done? It's also very interesting that both of these events are quite strongly linked to Pokey. Yes. Whenever there is evil, there is Pokey. Indeed there is. And then when Monotoli is no longer evil, he offers you his helicopter to get to Summers, the next stage. Mm Mm-hmm. And who steals my helicopter but Pokey? He's decided, oh well, Monotoli's not evil anymore. Best go to the next powerful evil man there is in this planet. (laughs) Such a bastard. I know. Well, we're back in Winters. We do quickly pop off into a dungeon that Jeff went through earlier that does have the fourth melody. Upon hearing this one, Ness catches a whiff of pizza, but only for a second. One other thing at the start of the game is that every time you visit your mum, she makes your favourite food, which is something that you got to pick yourself. I picked pizza. Why? Well, I don't know. I think it was... I mean, my favourite thing is probably, like, sushi or salmon. But I thought, I'll go for pizza this time. Not realising that there's already pizza in the game. Yeah, it's a bit strange. It is brilliant, though, to put something lewd here. I, I didn't do that. Your mum's like, why don't you go to bed and I'll make you some cock? <laughs> what I'll say is that when you're in one it, every time you go back home to rest, she makes you pizza. Yeah. Imagine the indigestion that you're going to end up getting eating your body weight in pizza. You're a kid, it's fine. I know, I know. It's still, you do eat progressively less pizza as it goes on because you're not able to go to your mum's all the time. Thankfully, with the help of... Apple Kid and Dr. Andernuts, they do end up fixing the Skyrunner that Jeff used to get from Winters to Threed and use that to get you all to Summers. And yeah, it crashes, completely totals on the beach. You are lucky to survive. True, but now you can also fast travel around, so it's not a big deal. The whole, like, you know, being in an almost fatal accident is a bit of a bummer, to be honest. This gets you into Summers, though. Yeah, there's really not much to Summers other than it being a tourist trap overpriced town. Yeah, it's not fucking cheap to be sure. You know this because every third NPC complains about it. It's also very enforced in the game. The items here are super expensive. Yeah. After paying $30,000 and a left lung to kick yourself out with better items, <laughs> you get yourself into a secret club for smug pricks called Club Stoic and get offered a magic cake by one of the patrons. 
we have to talk a woman in the Stoic Club into making us cake because, oh, it's not an intellectual thing to bake cakes. And these people are all about being intellectual. Their entertainment for the night is a rock on a plinth. Indeed there is. Not the entertaining movie star wrestler, The Rock. No, no, not The Rock. A rock. Just a normal rock. Not even a pretty one, just a rock. And everyone's all standing around, intellectualising and talking about it. Stroking their beards. Yeah, stroking their 16-bit beards. (laughs) And at least half the room are just like, what is this? What are we doing? I want to look intelligent, but what is it? What's going on? And I'm thinking to myself, well, fuck, it's Ginny all over again. (laughs) You convince this woman, though, to go back to her stand making cakes. And... Upon eating this cake, though, you find yourself getting so mashed on edibles that you dream of being poo. <laughs> no, that's that's the kid's name. Yes, yes. This is where we meet the fourth member of our party, whose name in the game, I swear to God, is Poo. P-double-O. Say the line, Jen. <sighs> what a shitload of fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, the other line. <laughs> Who'd name their Wayne Poo? She said it! She said it! (laughs) He is the prince of that village of Dalam we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And we're now going to take control of him for a while. You're basically waking up, playing as him in his final stage of moo training. Mm -hmm. Whatever that means. So I wander around Dalam talking to everyone and I realise that I have to climb up a rope to this big high platform and meditate. Mm -hmm. Then I had a vision of this ghost thing that wants parts of your body. And to pass the test, you have to say yes to everything. He straight up depletes all your health. Yes. He breaks your legs, takes your arms, steals your eyes, takes your ears, and then leaves you with no mind. Which, um, yeah, pretty scary. It looks like a battle encounter, but with text coming on screen kind of telling you what's happening each time. Yeah, and I was a bit scared, to be honest. I don't like the idea of, like, you know, not having my arms and legs and mind and eyes. That would be a bit rubbish. And this is why you can't finish your move. Yeah, I couldn't. I wouldn't have done it. I'd be like, (laughs) screw you. I will remain unenlightened forever. I like having my limbs and my eyes and my brain. Thank you. Yes. Pooh, on the other hand, does complete his moo. It's a worthy loss for him. So he's completed his moo training, his master's very pleased with him, and you're free to go wherever you want. I think you're able to teleport there? Yes, he gets a better teleport than Ness's teleport, where he just kind of spins in a circle. Yeah, there's not a huge big run-up required. So yeah, he now joins your team as your fourth member. Which is pretty cool. His mechanics is that he has a lot of really cool attacks too. He's also got healing powers. But when you first get him, you're best letting him teleport you and saving his PP for that. So the only health items that work for him are things you get in Dalam. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, you can teleport there and back whenever you want. Mm -hmm. But it's still a bit of a pest. I figured all of that out the hard way. Yeah, he doesn't take any other healing items. I think it's an interesting one because he needs those reminders of home and those foods are that for him. Also, he can only equip very certain equipment. He won't take anything else. 
Yeah, Ness, Paula, and Jeff are constantly changing items. You get better like weapons throughout the game. Pooh gets weaker if you equip items to him, unless they are one of four special items that only he can equip. And apparently they're an absolute pest to try and get. Three of them you find in dungeons. One is incredibly rare to get in the game. So good luck with that. Now that Pooh is part of our party pack, yes, you're now able to get into the fifth dungeon back in Foresight, where we get our fifth melody. Upon hearing this one, Ness saw a baby's bottle, but just for an instant. Mm-hmm. And we also go to Pooh's home of the Lamb, where we get our sixth melody. Upon hearing, Ness had a short vision of seeing his mother when she was young. And this is our last melodies for a while. I'm not going to get one for quite a bit in the game. There's a recurring theme to these melodies, which we'll get back to. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the point in the game where we now go on to our next village, Scaraba. Which I kept misreading as Scarborough. There's something very paradoxical about the words England and desert, though, <laughs> which I found quite amusing. You go through a mad sphinx pyramid thing. Yeah, you kind of just explore these desert buildings until you get to another part of the desert. This is also the point where Pooh leaves the party for a while, as someone comes promising to teach him a better move. So we're back down to three for the next little bit of the game. This is where we meet Dungeon Man. Who's Dungeon Man? Well, uh, thanks to the power of science, Dr. Andonuts has managed to turn Brick Road into a literal living, breathing dungeon. Yes. That can walk and talk. He is a man who's basically a building. Yes, and he is Dungeon Man that you have to explore inside his body. Thankfully made of rock and not intestines, or this would be really fucked up. Yeah, I mean, there is an episode of the Magic School Bus where they do that. But usually they take the vehicle into the body. With Dungeon Man, you go inside him and look for a submarine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So one of Dr. Donut's redeeming traits is the fact that he helped someone become the person that they wanted to be. Yes. And I'm so happy for Dungeon Man that he's finally able to be the Dungeon Man he wanted to be. Yes, he is a man who identifies as a dungeon, and Dr. Ardenauts was thankfully able to help him realise his inner identity. Which, yeah, good go, Dungeon Man. We take the submarine over to a place called Deep Darkness, which is this foul swamp. For somewhere called Deep Darkness, it was surprisingly bright outside. <laughs> it's a swamp area that's full of mostly monkeys and bastards. Now, the swamp... The manly fish, the piles of sludge and puke, the crocodiles, the angry slugs, the demonic petunias that I think are one of those like corpse flower things that smell of death. Mm -hmm. They're manageable. They're doable. The real hazard on this island are the charlatans, the (laughs) con men. There are at least two people who will try and con you out of your money. One is a vendor who does actually sell you things, but... The products are so crap, don't bother. You can teleport somewhere else to get better items. And we'll also liaise with a doctor for you. This said doctor is like right next to you and will not talk to you unless you go through the vendor guy for some reason. And this doctor will heal you with one treatment. You know, I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's like the hospital or something where they can actually heal stuff you can't heal yourself. Walking through the swamp depletes your health bit by bit. So I was thinking to myself, oh great, there's something that can help with that. The doctor literally just takes your money and whispers, be healthy, into both ears. (laughs) And nothing happens. Yes. 
You pay him a lot of money and that's his medical treatment. Makes you definitely know this is set in America. <laughs> it was a $500, which is not huge at this point in the game. Daddy has given me enough money to buy a small house at this point. Mm -hmm. But it's the principle of it. Yeah. I'm a powerful enough sorcerer, right, that I could just mug them and get my money back. But nah, the game doesn't let me. Boo. Yeah, you're always going to find these type of people selling you fake health treatments, useless crap in the middle of nowhere, NFTs, just usual things you always deal with in life. you got to watch out for that sort of stuff, you know? In this area, you also end up battling a bigger bunch of barf than the barf you beat before. <laughs> it's the same bit of barf that you battled before. Yes, but now he's bigger and better. And has a new name. Yes. From Belch to Master Puke. Indeed. This, though, is when Pooh comes back with his new ability to kick its ass. It's called Psy Star Storm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was great. Thanks, Pooh. Pooh came back to fuck his shit up. Uh... At the end of this area, though, you get to the village of the Tender people. So there are these little green people who are all incredibly shy and can't talk to you. This is also where you get a call from Apple Kid says he has a book to overcome shyness. To get this book, though, you have to quickly save Apple Kid and Dr. Andonuts. From Aliens. From Aliens, which is a whole side quest that isn't really that important to the story. Regardless of, you know, the quest item, I would have wanted to rescue Apple Kid. He's my friend. Yeah, you got to do him a solid. Yeah. But once the Tender people have this book, they will then let you through the Seventh Sanctuary in the village, which upon hearing, feeds your next vision of Ness being held by his father. The people of the Tender do lead you to end up in a prehistoric land. The Lost Underworld. Yes, that's what it was called. The Lost Underworld. A backwards world where you are a very small speck among dinosaurs. So yeah, this is definitely America. <laughs> it's a bit like that Doug McClure film, The Journey to the Centre of the Earth. Because you're <laughs> journeying into the centre of the Earth and there's dinosaurs and shit. Getting through the Lost Underworld will take you to the last sanctuary in the game. Beating this boss will get you the final song where Ness had a feeling that he was watched by himself as a baby. Which, wow, that's pretty profound. Now that we have all eight melodies, this triggers a strange existential cutscene where Ness watches himself as a baby. And he realises that as a baby he had psi powers this whole time. And this drops you off in the realm of Magicant. Magicant is a world created in Ness's mind. There's giant vegetables growing out of the ground, two wise men, your friends. Pokey's there, but he apologises to you and asks if we can be friends. I find it very interesting that all Ness wants is for Pokey to apologise. Yeah, he just wants Cartman to not be a dick. Because <laughs> there's all the people in his imagination. Like, one of those sweetest things. There's a snowman that you built as a kid that has since melted away. But he says that he always exists here in Ness's mind. Yeah. There's also some previous enemies that you face telling us how they feel about being defeated. Yeah. And most profoundly, our younger self wanting to play games with us, but saying, oh, never mind, you're too busy. I know. Oh. God, there's a lot of real great psychological analysis to be done in this small area. But we have to move on. We do team up, though, with our Courage, which are represented by the Flying Man. They're like bird men. Yeah. 
there's seven of them living in one house and after each one dies they're buried in graves outside their front door yeah you can only take one at a time every time one dies you can go back and get another one but their graves do remain outside the front door yeah next to buzz buzz my boy i know I felt like so bad at this point. It was like my quest to avenge Buzz Buzz kind of fell to the wayside and I'd moved on. I've managed to grieve, but I always felt bad every time I had to let one of the flying men die. I'd always keep them alive as long as I could. The boss that you have to face in Magicant is one of the statues. Yes, this one's called Ness's Nightmare. And it's really interesting that it's supposed to be the evil inside you. Apparently everyone's got like an evil side and this evil is personified through these golden idols, false idols. Mm -hmm. This fight really stumped you, I have to say. Mm -hmm. Because the mechanic we don't explain is that whenever you take damage in this game, it comes up as numbers. So like you have 200 HP and you lose 20 HP. Rather than just going straight from 200 to 180, instead it's like a ticker that slowly rolls down one HP at a time until it reaches 120. By this point in the game, you're so powerful, you've got like 600 HP. This guy, though, could hit you for 700. And that panicked you a lot, because like he keeps doing these mortal blows. And I think you said, like, look, just keep pressing select. Work as fast as you can. Yeah, because usually you've got four party members, usually going up against like four or five enemies. It's very hard to get through all the turns. Because, though, this is now just Ness and maybe one assistant against one enemy, your turns are happening quite fast. So while your health is slowly ticking down, you can actually just tank it a little bit and get to your healing spells because you're losing health at a rate which you're just able to get in and get healing done. If you heal while you're losing health, it just puts you at the number you're supposed to be at. With Ness's Nightmare defeated, you unlock the power of the eight melodies and Ness gets a massive level boost and went up about 15 levels at this point. Yeah, it was really intense. All these like nice things about your childhood and your parents and love and everything ends up becoming a part of you and what makes you powerful. Yes. So all those memories he has of these things as a kid is what gives Ness his power. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. This also now means that you're ready to go fight Gygus. Da da da. We return back to Saturn Village, where Dr. Andonitz and Applekid have built a second phase distorter because Pokey stole the first. Because of course he did. And with this, you can now go on to fight Gygus. After this point of the game, you can't teleport back anywhere. So you have to stock up on items, mm-hmm. declutter everything, so you're in the best position possible to defeat Gygus. Yes. This will get to something that's called a point of no return. Mm-hmm. In video games, usually when you get near the end of it, a good game will usually have a character go, once we start this journey, there's no turning back. Make sure you're ready. A mediocre game will make it fucking blatant and just have a big sign on the screen that goes, by the by, this is the point of no return. Only proceed when you're ready. And a shite game won't give you any heads up. I stocked up on things like brain food lunches, which will restore your health and your PP. Mm-hmm. Also, you get super plush teddy bears at Foreside. Mm-hmm. We've not explained what teddy bears are, but basically they're a bit like the flying men, mm-hmm. but they don't fight. They just take hits for you. You kind of use them to shield yourself against damage. They will eventually pop, but if you grab a few of them, you can go through them before they finally get to hitting you and your team. Yeah. Tooled up for the fight, we use the phase distorter. We're immediately told we need a third phase distorter. 
This one, though, can only be used by robots. Because living creatures will die if they travel through time. Yes. You have to put your soul into a robot body. Mm -hmm. There's no guarantee that you'll come out of this alive or be able to go back into your other body. Mm. There's like a moment where Apple Kid and Dr. Andonuts are quite evasive. They don't want to say what it is. So you have to keep asking them until they tell you because you're going to be making a huge sacrifice to save the world. In the end, Ness and his friends decide to become robots and go back into the past to finally come face to face with Gygus. And guess who's by his side? Who's by his side, Jen? Pokey. Of course he is. Of course when the embodiment of evil, its incomprehensible Lovecraftian creature, rears its ugly head trying to take over the world. Giga shows up. (laughs) 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 What I was going to say was, you know, of course it was going to lead up to Pokey going mad with power. Yes. Pokey in a literal giant metal spider yes. is <laughs> up against you right next to the embodiment of evil itself. I mean, he started off tagging alongside a powerful cult leader. Of course he was going to, you know, of course he was going to go to scene. Of course he was. Yeah, it's like Cartman and the Dark Lord Cthulhu. I was just thinking that. <laughs> in all seriousness, I thought for a moment Gygas was going to turn out to be Pokey. I wouldn't be surprised. It was kind of leading up to it, but mm-hmm. I'm not that far off, actually. No, because the weird thing about Gygas, especially at the start of the fight, is that it has the face of Ness. Yes. Which, it's interesting that it's kind of doing that to throw you off. When we first see Gygas next to Pokey, it's not his true form. There's a machine that makes him look different. Gygas is invincible when Pokey's there. This is the point of the game where you finally get to smash Pokey in the face while he's evangelising about how awesome Gygas is. What a shame I'm having to punch his lights out. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, Gygas is just there doing something. He's just sitting there staring at the party with Ness's face going, we are not so different, you and I. And then he, like, switches off the devil machine. And shows Gygas's true form. Serious question, right? Right. What the fuck is Gygas? All he is in the game is... Originally it starts as his machine with Ness's face, but that will change the fight will go on. And he just becomes this... Just this background texture. Yeah, there's really no other way to describe it. It It's just a strange repeating tile pattern. Your attacks do damage, but the fight goes on and on and on. The textures resemble like both human faces, like tormented souls, but there's also fetuses in the negative space. It's interesting that despite it looking not like anything, mm-hmm. it also looks so human. Although it's interesting for people to try and like, you know, figure out what it is, I think figuring out what it is is kind of missing the point. Gygas is this incomprehensible evil you're not really supposed to understand it because the concept of evil itself we can't understand we like to think we do but we don't to attribute like a plot thing to it is uh, i don't know we adults don't know why evil exists and children really won't know why evil exists and hopefully they'll never see that Mm -hmm. 
I know it's bizarre. It really is bizarre. Then again, this whole fight is bizarre. Very famously, right? This whole battle is based off a very strange moment from Etor's childhood, where he accidentally walked into the wrong screen at a cinema halfway through a movie called The Military Policeman and the Dismembered Beauty, where he saw this incredibly traumatic scene of really fucked up shit. But yeah, the stuff that Gygus ends up seeing in the fight, though, is so goddamn bizarre. I've got it written down here. Miss, I'm happy. It's not right. Not right. I feel good. I'm happy. Friends. Ness, Ness, Ness. Ah, yeah. It hurts, Ness. It's not right. Go back, Ness. I feel good. What the fuck? <laughs> I think it's really interesting that it switches between, like, you know, feeling awful and wanting to go back and wanting to change things and doing evil things feels good sometimes it's this strange amalgamation of it hurting it feeling bad your regrets after doing something evil but also that at the time for whatever reason for whatever person it would feel good to them it feeds so well into the incomparability of gygas either way in this encounter with this unknowable form you fight it one-on-one -on -one for a while before he goes to reveal his final form from a background texture to lots of background textures. Yeah, it just becomes more scrambled and warped version of its already warped self. And in this final phase, you can't defeat him by just attacking him. You can't really ever defeat him. No amount of violence does it. All that happens is that it changes form. Yeah. It still gets damage, but you'll never kill it. Yeah. with violence yeah the amount of physical attacks you need to put it down is incalculable arguably i don't think you can i think the game stops you from doing it probably because the game wants you to beat him a different way what defeats skygas is paula's prayer yes now paula's had this ability since the start of the game paula doesn't have any healing magic of her own but she gets prayer which will do a random healing effect it might heal your team, it might revive dead players, it might heal your opponents, it might secure status elements. It's not a good ability because it's too random. But in this, it's vital. Mm -hmm. It compels the supporting characters that you've met on your journey to pray with you. People from all over the world, any background, ethnicity, beliefs. What defeats evil and badness is love and kindness. Mm -hmm. The care and compassion you have for your fellow man. There's a lot you can talk about with this game with religion and faith and spirituality. But Paula's prayer, it doesn't go to any deity. It goes to a human being and human kindness. She prays for Jeff to come along. She reaches out to Ness through prayer. And now she's using it in this moment of desperation. And these prayer attacks do major damage. More damage than your attacks can ever do. Yeah. But... The supporting character whose prayer makes the most difference is yours, the player. Yes. At an earlier point in the game, you were not too subtly asked to give you the player's name, which when you type it in and now the game will know you, the player's name. Yes. So once you do the final prayer and the text box comes up that it goes out to somebody who's praying for you and the name came up on screen, Jen. Jen is praying for you. Yeah, which I thought was an incredibly profound moment because it's easy to forget that 
you've been guiding these kids through all these adventures, getting them out of trouble, getting them into trouble, and you have the power to make a difference. Yes. You might not think it, but you do. It's so bizarre, this fight, though. I mean, how are you supposed to interpret that's how you beat them? I think I might know. How? There will come a point where you've tried all your attacks, you start to run out of ideas, and one option you do have, you know, once Paula's magic runs out, is prayer. The game assumes that you're going to turn to that, and it's in those moments where you're at your most broken and, and need a help when the game will give you that. With this final prayer, though, Gygas is defeated and the gang all wake up in Saturn Village in their original bodies. You can see like their little orb souls like floating out of the robot through time and space back to their bodies. Yes, where you wake up to find that evil has been defeated. Everyone says their goodbyes. You take Paula home back to Tucson and you now get the chance to explore the entire world of the game but with no more encounters. And just see what there is, how everyone's story ends. You can go find characters you met earlier in your adventure. Some of them have got jobs. Some of them are now in their happily ever afters. You can do things like take the book back from the tender, put it back in the library and just complete the world before you eventually then go home back to your mum to finish the story. After I took Paula home, Mm -hmm. I called my dad. He said he was going to come home for my birthday. And joked that, oh wait, I don't need to save your progress anymore. And then it turns out that the photographer, who has been an absolute nuisance throughout the game, has collected a photo album of all your adventures. And your mum is desperate to go through them all with you. Yes. And to hear all the stories from your adventures. Yeah. These photos now start coming on screen while the credits roll. It's so sweet. It's a very, very sweet ending. There is a final epilogue at the end of the credits where Ness is waking up in bed to the door chapping just like at the start of the game and you open the door and there's Pokey. <sighs> I couldn't escape him. He couldn't have died alongside Gygas. Little bastard. Yeah, it has this kind of massive, up. Oh, here we go again. One thing that I noticed before, you know, I went home was I thought, I wonder what's happened with Pokey as he came home too. Just out of curiosity, hoping that he'd, like, stayed in that cave. He's not there. I think his brother's there. Yes, his brother and his mum's there. His father is not. No, he's in a bar at Foresight, which you didn't go find. I didn't go find him there. But there is another man sitting where Dad once sat at the beginning of the game. This... Oliver Hardy looking guy. I'm sitting there like, oh my god, Pokey's mum is, like porking some other dude what (laughs) it's very fitting justice to this boy but either way that is the end of earthbound how do you feel at the end of that one um i needed time to process what had happened it didn't help that i got like really ill with the cold when i was playing this but it's just this combination of escapism action psychedelic trippy surrealism and existential dread that honestly i aspire to take forward into my own stories and i love in the media i watch the midnight gospel is probably my favorite tv show which is also this mad trippy psychedelic cartoon that's it's not complete nonsense but it's quite strange 
at the end, I just imagined and wondered, you know, what happened to kids growing up? What did they do with their lives? Did they all stay friends? How did their relationships with their hometowns change? I just hope that they still have their powers and they can still use them and everything. As much as there's part of me that wished to reunite with them all again, the story's ending is pretty well wrapped up. And I didn't want to overstay it and keep going back and back and back because that's not, as a general rule with life, it's not a healthy thing to do. No, the story's ended and this is one of the few games where the ending is so perfect. Yeah. With the exception of Pokey still being around. Yes. There's no loose threads. Yeah. I like to think that Pokey has either grown and changed since being an awful child, which I'm sorry, I doubt, or he leaves Ness's life quickly. (laughs) He is actually, I mean, we're never going to get to this in the podcast. He actually does make a return appearance in Mother 3. So the story of Pokey is, it is the only thread from this game that pretty much gets tied up in the sequel. Yeah. Other than that one thread though, this is the end of Ness's story. It's such a shame that this game didn't succeed well back in its time. I know. Like, there is an alternate universe where Earthbound took off as the JRPG that brought JRPGs to the West and not Final Fantasy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It would be interesting to live in that reality, but we don't. <laughs> yeah, I was just very sad that it was over. I kind of had a bit of a cry to myself, actually. Because there is something nice about these kind of games where you can just escape. You can have the mindset of a kid and seeing things with that wonder that as an adult, you're going to lose. You lose that ability to play and think at like 500 miles an hour, you know? That's a point I do want to discuss with you. There's an interpretation of this game, an interpretation I personally subscribe to, I will say, that this entire adventure is make-believe. Ness doesn't have psychic powers and Jeff isn't some gadget genius. They're kids playing a game. And this game is this magical adventure they're all going on to save the world from this evil thing that's evil because evil. And they all have their special roles. And they're not actually travelling the world. They're just going about probably the back garden, maybe a nearby park, and going on this adventure that's just purely in their mind. We, the player, though, don't see the real world. We only see their imagined world where the stop signs are enemies and the evil barking dog is this stray monster that we fight with our magic powers. We don't actually hit the animal, hopefully, to beat this game that ends when the evil's defeated and they all go home to their parents to get their tea. I don't want to believe that. Why not? Because, like... Why wouldn't you want to have, like, magic powers and live in, like, such an interesting, kooky little place? You don't get very many fantasy worlds that are like that, you know, Mm -hmm. where you actually do have superpowers. Like, yeah, I want to believe that it's real. Why wouldn't you want to believe it's real? It's funny, because weren't you the one arguing in our Doom episode that it's all in his head? (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather believe Doom was in the guy's head because it's just hellish and awful whereas earthbound you know it's not all bad there's some really nice parts to it Mm -hmm. it's a lovely world to explore i wish we got to see more of it Mm -hmm. but at some point you've got to like say your goodbyes Mm -hmm. you can't stay there forever as much as you'd want to no 
because when you over egg these worlds you end up getting the extended Final Fantasy 7 series which nobody wants <laughs> I mean I'm sure that's a discussion we will come to in that episode of the podcast oh we will oh we will I want to get now through to the reader submissions you can tell that me and Jen have recently joined a discord group with other independent podcasters because all these submissions have came from them so I will plug their podcasts but just be warned I think the best one we got though came from Tony of the PlayStation Rumble podcast who said, I remembered going to the game store on my birthday at the now incredibly defunct Incredible Universe and saw a table with several copies of Earthbound on display. I had never heard of Earthbound before, but was very intrigued by the gigantic box and the screens in the back that had me curious on what exactly the game was all about. I literally had no idea what I was getting myself into. All I knew that the game box was huge and that was good enough for my 12-year-old brain. I was kind of bewildered when I started the game and it let me customise everything from the menu design character names asking what my favorite food was and even letting me name my dog i think what resonated with me the most were the main characters being young kids and the modern day setting it had a very surreal familiarity that really helped the world feel relatable and still stick with me all these years later whether i realized it or not earthbound helped me get through some tough times during my adolescence it helped form my sense of humor as well as taste in music thanks to its wonderfully composed soundtrack that varied in different genre styles. In my eyes, the game was an instant classic the moment I put it in my old SNES. If I had to sum up my personal feelings about the game, it would have to be playing Earthbound, and at times that even thinking about it feels like going home again. That's a really lovely story. Thank you for sending that in. I know, it's actually quite amazing, because this is not a game that sold well at its time. People that played it at the time it came out, they must have just felt like they were living in this insane bubble where they had played one of the best games of its generation and no one was around to concur with them. Mm. That's another thing this game had going against it. Nintendo, in their infinite wisdom that nobody outside of Japan wants a JRPG, bundled the game with a player's guide that telling mm. you how to beat the game. That raised the price of the game above what other games cost. So now you had this game that cost more than the other games that nobody had heard of and all the ads said it stinks. Yeah. It's amazing that people like Tony saw past that and found the game that deserved to be played underneath it. I'm happy to hear that the game series resonated with him and that it's now getting to enjoy its time in the sun as, as one of the classics that nobody appreciated in its time. Yeah. Better late than never. Another great one we got was from Dave from the Tales of the Backlog podcast. I tried Earthbound for the first time in 2022 as a curiosity stop along my tour of the acclaimed retro games I missed. Though I didn't love the gameplay and I hate, hate the inventory system, I still really enjoyed my time with this whimsical world. Earthbound has a heart that games have been trying to emulate for decades, though few have matched it and few ever will. That sounds about right. I'm... Totally behind you in the inventory system. It is an absolute pest. But as I said before, like if you've got a really good game that you're really enjoying, you kind of look past all these niggles. Yeah, it's there's no point pretending that there's a perfect game out there. Yeah. Other than Katamari, obviously. But it has this heart and charm that's just so mesmerizing and so warm and loving. You're both right. You can look past the slog of the inventory system to find this gem underneath it all. And finally, Professor Tom of the Shujin Academy VGM Club podcast said, Earthbound is like the SNES version of the Velvet Underground's first record. Only 50,000 people bought it, 
but everyone who did went out and started their own band slash indie game dev house <laughs> that is such a good observation in this game because he's right it wasn't huge in its time but god damn is it influential i think we rewatched the super eye patch rule video a wee while ago i remember hearing that itoi said that he wouldn't want to be making mother 4 he'd want to be playing it yes and he's right Hopefully he has been keeping up and he has been playing all of these things because if you've been taking a look around any of the indie games, there's a lot of them that are very, very like Earthbound. You have to look outside and you look at these RPGs that are made by the companies. Undertale, the Lisa trilogy, the South Park games definitely draw on that same humorous world. Even like outside of video games, you've got things like Homestuck, which is absolutely based on the absurdism of earthbound i mean even the name alone earthbound homestuck mm. there's no secret of that very interestingly though there is a game called oddity that was pitched in 2008 as mother 4 it's been a bit of development hell but in 2020 they confirmed that they're still making it and they've changed the name to oddity that the developer is putting forward as his attempt to make the next mother game if it comes out which is not entirely guaranteed the project's been quiet for about a year now but it just shows how people got super super inspired by this game if oddity comes out i want to play it me too now to round it out as we always do i asked jen to sum up her thoughts through the medium of three questions that i call the three gens last gen did the game live up to your expectations has playing this game helped you understand any references that you've seen around the series? I had no idea that a game could be quite this good. Yes. And have this much of an effect on me. The last time I felt this inspired by anything has probably been either End of Evangelion, which broke me for a good month, mm-hmm. and The Midnight Gospel, which did something kind of similar. Now, Earthbound didn't break me like those did, but it's incredibly inspiring and I'd love to get across that kind of tone in some of my own projects, which I didn't think I'd get from a video game. It makes sense that it would happen at some point. I just wasn't expecting it to happen this soon into our podcast. I now can recognise the Earthbound stage in Smash Bros. Yeah, that's a massive one I can imagine now. You'll have a much greater appreciation for Ness. I will be annoyed whenever I get the Mr. Saturn throwable item. I'm really tempted to start a change.org petition to make him an assist trophy at least, but we live in an unfair world. What can we do? I'll also have a good idea of little things and influences to spot in the adventure games and RPGs we play going forward. Yeah. There will be some little earthboundisms in there, which I'll have fun spotting. For current gen, do you feel the game holds up as a classic? Is there anything in the game that didn't work for you? I feel that it's a real shame that it didn't take off in its time. Mm-hmm. It absolutely holds up as a classic. If how much I've been gushing over it over the past hour or so hasn't been a hint, yes, it's a classic. More people need to play it. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad I got to play it and I got to see this in my lifetime. We touched on a lot of the quality of life things mm-hmm. throughout this episode, so I won't bang on about it, but one thing actually we didn't mention was the fact that we can't see the enemy's hit bar. Yes, this is a pain in the ass. So you don't know how much health an enemy actually has 
you don't know how long you've got left to go in a fight, which is a real nightmare situation. But what I'll say is that all the gripes that people have had over the years playing this game have been improved upon in the games that have come after it. Mm-hmm. Games have learned from this, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that it's those kind of like you know little errors and mistakes that people learn from when going forward in their creative endeavours. And finally, would you recommend it to a newcomer? And are you interested in playing other games in the franchise, as well as other JRPGs? Yes. It's not the easiest of RPGs, but it's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. It's worthwhile starting, or at least playing this at some point, you know, at the start of your game journey, for lack of a better term. I'll even go so far as to say, as Dave said in his writing, even if you are a seasoned gamer, do not pass this one up. Don't pass this one up, whatever level you're at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plus, with a lot of the older games that's on Nintendo Switch Online, they do have the save feature there, and you rewind things for a reason. It's to make these texts a lot more accessible to mm-hmm. modern audiences, because we've grown up with pretty good save functions. I mean, nowadays it just saves itself. You don't even have to have that option in the menu. You can if you want to, but you don't actually have to. I'm incredibly interested in playing more games like Earthbound. It's becoming one of my favourite genres, actually. I'm thinking, actually, of playing Earthbound Beginnings after I've completed Pokemon Arceus, because, yes, I'm still at the end stages of Pokemon Arceus. I want to finish that game. I want to find God, but it's just not happening anytime soon. I am so happy you had a great time with this game. It is so warming to me that one of my favourite genres of gaming is becoming one of your favourite genres of gaming. Yeah. On that subject of genres, we need to talk about our next episode. Ooh. Our next game, we're going to be trying a new genre and even experiment with a new format. Ooh. I feel that one of the building blocks of video games has always been the fighting game genre. But with the way we're going to be covering it, It seems a bit thin to use a single episode to cover one of these games. So we're going to do something slightly different. And we're going to take on two of these games head to head and see which one you prefer. As our next episode, we'll be putting Street Fighter 2 up against Mortal Kombat. Oh, yeah. As always to our audience, we deeply appreciate if you have any stories, comments, views even just arguing which is better of the two, share them with us. You can always reach out to us on Twitter at StartaQuest or on our email, startaquest at gmail.com. Do let us know which of these you're willing to go fight for. For now, though, thank you very, very much for listening. If you want to show your love, reach out to us and give us some feedback. We've recently added our podcast onto Good Pods. If you want to go over there and give us a rating and let us know what we can improve, please let us know. If you like what we've already got, though, we would deeply appreciate it if you gave us five stars. Just saying. But whatever racing you give us will be greatly appreciated. Absolutely. It gets us more visible, and that's what we want. We want to share this with more people. I like to think I can write, and I have a website, jenhugheswriter.com. I also have a Facebook, Jen Hughes Writing, and a YouTube channel that I'm hoping to add more stuff to, Jen Hughes Writing. We'd also like to thank DJ Pretzel, not only for creating today's theme, Too Soon Hits the Road, but also for creating the website where it's available, ocremix.org. Yeah, they've been a godsend for us. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely. Until next time, where we're going to be testing which game is the better fighter, it'll be a goodbye from me, Alessandro. 
And a goodbye from me, Jen. Quest completed! Quest completed!